Okay, so I think this is working. Um, welcome to Hot Topics number two, uh, where we're jumping into actually our now three-week series on homosexuality, what I've entitled LGBTQ, which um, that is an acronym for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, queer, um, which is kind of how the gay community would identify themselves. So we're going to um, talk about those things today. I want to start by giving just a brief introduction to some terms. Um, and then once we've kind of got all those terms down, then we can jump in and kind of hit some content together. So um, if you look on page one, um, I, have our, I have our big idea there. Homosexuality is an intensely personal and complex struggle. Therefore, discussion of cause and solution must be must begin with discernment, a willingness to listen, and compassion. Um, looking at this quote, which I actually fixed from last week, I, I went back and looked and I mi- missed a like whole sentence out of, um, human sexuality must be understood in light of a variety of influences, including biological, sociological, psychological, theological, as well as gender, emotions, hey guys, gender, emotions, behaviors, attitudes, and values. Authentic human sexuality has to do with human beings seeking to live as sexual beings according to God's design and purpose. Um, And that is out of a book called uh, Authentic Human Sexuality by Jack and Judith Balswick, which I've actually referenced on there. This is a helpful book. I'd look at it. Um, This chart that they have here um, is kind of defining the four areas of a person's sexuality, which um, has to do with their natal sex, which is how they were born born either male or female, or um, the new word is intersex, so perhaps born with both, um, with some semblance of both gender pieces. Um, sexual identity, which is how it which has to do with a person's sexual self-concept, how I conceive of my own sexuality. Gender role, which is one's gender identity, which is uh, def- as defined by culture. Hi, Angie. Hi, Jeff. Um, so gender role has to do with um, how a person perceives their gender based on what their culture tells them, and that's really what we hit last year, last week. And then sexual orientation, which is the direction of one's erotic attractions. And so ideally, Balswick and Balswick write that these four things, we talked about this last week, these four things will all line up together and produce what I would call a congruent, authentic sexuality that is healthy and whole and aligns with what is biblical. But due to any kind of experiences or biological issues or things like that, one of these can become bent and change perhaps the direction or arrangement of one's sexual uh, experiences. And so what we're talking about today is what happens when uh, especially things like gender role, sexual orientation, and sexual identity um, do not become congruent and form some sort of homosexuality. So flip over to page two on your handout there. Um, just some basic key terms and some things I want to uh, familiarize you with, and then we're going to jump in and do some learning tasks together. So on development, this is out of um, Mark Yarhouse's book, um, Homosexuality and the Christian. Mark Yarhouse is the foremost Christian psychologist um, studying the issue of homosexuality. Um, he is involved heavily with the American Psychological Association and um, does a lot of um, uh, intercollegial work with non-Christian psychologists and Christian psychologists to get some to build consensus on the issue of how homosexuality should be treated, um, and so he's written a lot of very very helpful books. But this is the most um, not filled with psychological words, um, and so and I know that because I was working on my master's thesis, which actually was rejected. We can talk about that later. But I was reading a whole bunch of his stuff. But this is very good, um, and so he has in here um, how does homosexuality develop. Um, it's thought of in three broad stages, which is identity dilemma, uh, which is generally bega- means like a question of, well, what am I experiencing? Identity development, well, what do I do with what I'm experiencing? And then identity synthesis, this is what I'm experiencing sexually. This is the decision I'm going to make about how I'm going to live it out. Um, begins as young as age 10 or 12. Um, may involve same-sex behaviors around ages 13 or 14 and may be followed by a questioning of identity and, for some, identity labeling at around 15. Um, and so, yes, Trish. I didn't catch, like, I am listening to you. Yes, that's okay. I'm talking fast. After you said that last thing that I thought, I remember sitting in college in a class and having, like, a GLBT group, and some of them, I've just heard more than one story about how people, it kind of starts when they're younger and whether they were sexually assaulted or what, yeah. I don't know, but, like, for some, um, they remember as, like, younger children than 10 or 12 being, like, um, different. Uh, 
yeah, like liking necklaces and pearls and right. shoes and high heels and stuff. And yeah, I would say at like or as early as age five, some kids can say that I felt different than other boys or I felt different than other girls. And even parents will say, I knew, like you'll hear parents say, well, I knew from when they were 10. Mm. Or I knew when they, when, from when I brought them home that they were different. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about causation. I think that'll bring to light some of what you're saying. So thanks for adding that. Um, which actually brings us to this part on choosing on page two. And I, this is huge. Um, people do not choose to experience same-sex attraction. It is something they find themselves experiencing. So a lot of um, a common thing said is they're choosing to live this way. Mm-hmm. On some level, yes, they're choosing to act on those attractions, but they did not choose to experience them. Um, and so that's why that's where that idea it, I was born this way comes from. And I often will say you weren't born this way, but you probably feel that way. So there's a, there's a level of, of, of always having found themselves experiencing this. So this next part um, is a major contribution to the field that Mark Yarhouse made, which is a three-tier distinction, um, which he's written about in an article in this book, where he differentiates between the terms same-sex attraction, homosexual orientation, and gay identity. So what he wants us to do is talk in the most prescriptive of, no, descriptive of terms, as opposed to prescriptive. So descriptive terms saying, I am experiencing da-da-da-da-da, as opposed to saying, I am blank, which is a prescriptive term. Um, he would point out that to use an I am statement with the word homosexuality has only been ha- happened in about the last 75 years. So before that, there was no ability in the English language to say, I am gay, um, which is interesting. And so what he talks about is same-sex attraction. Certain people, regardless of cause, have experiences of attraction to the same sex. This doesn't have anything to do with their, how they perceive their identity or their behavior. It's just saying a person flat out is experiencing same-sex attraction. Now, the next level of that, which I've kind of drawn a circle, so the biggest category is same-sex attraction, then the medium category is a homosexual orientation, which would say, I have experiences of, uh, I am experiencing same-sex attractions, and I like his words, that is strong enough, durable enough, and persistent enough to, to, to say that they are oriented toward the same sex. And this word here, sexual orientation, just speaks of the direction of one's orientation. So the like picture like an arrow flying, right? This is just the, the way my sexual orientation flies. Um, but some people with experiencing a homosexual orientation will assume a gay identity, which is the act of really making an I am statement and saying my sexuality is the core of who I am and therefore is the defining element of who I am. And so what we'll talk about a little bit is later is how do we conceive of gay identity versus identity in Christ as that is the beginning of kind of the quote healing process. And so do you have any questions about what, what are your questions about the content I just threw on you? I'm trying to give you kind of a toolbox so that as we're kind of engaging over the next three weeks, you have some tools to use. Yes. B. Hi. Uh, I've heard this from more than one. one yes. That, um, it happens when a mother is controlling and a father is absent. Is right. there anything to, to that? We'll cover that in just a few minutes. Oh, okay. So okay. hold that into your hand. But okay. that that's often a common statement. So let's flip over to page two. Um, originally, so we're going to do learning tasks looking at 3A here. We were originally going to watch a video clip. I'm going to save that for two weeks from now. Instead, I want us to play a game of association. So what I would like you to do is when you when I say when you think of the word homosexual or gay or lesbian, what are what are the words and things that you think of? It could be anything. Different. Good. Different. Rainbows. Good. <laughs> Rainbows. What else? Liberal. Liberal. What else? Flamboyant. Okay. What else? List. List, that's okay. I want I want anything and everything. Misunderstood. Yes. <clears throat> Masculine women. Feminine men. Masculine women. Effeminate men. Trendy. Trendy. Defiant. Good. 
media and political, I heard. Come over here. If you're not used to it, 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 it seems very strange and Good. out of the ordinary. Phobic. Phobic. I think of persecution both on part of like people who claim to be homosexual, but also people who don't believe in it, right? Like homophobic kind of words, like. So, like, so not only persecution, not only towards homosexuals, but also towards the gay, like Christian community who oppose yeah. it. Yeah. Good. Anything else? See, I, I tend to compartmentalize. So when you say lesbian or gay, I think same-sex attraction. Right. And while all these other things may, in fact, be related, they don't enter my thinking. Okay. Julie, welcome. Uh, any other words that you think of when I say the word homosexual or gay or gay community or? Um, I would say it's different from an individual level from like persecution, but I would say protected. Where I work, it's the most encouraged. Good. It's encouraged in um, community um, hospitals, community colleges. Oh yeah. Um, very much so. Protected, encouraged. I would say kind of celebrated. Yes, celebrated. That's a great word. Yeah. <laughs> okay, pride. <laughs> You're a front row person. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Which also Dave's all more of a habit. That's exactly where Dave sat last week. Just so everybody pay attention. Yeah. Um, so let me ask why the following words are missing. Why? Why is? Why is this word? Missing. Can I can I say another one? Intimidating. Okay, good. Intimidating. Okay. But why is this word missing? Because we tend to be judgmental. Uh huh. I think for me, it's because I um, because I feel some of that like oppression or yeah persecution or whatever. I then my knee jerk reaction is to like have a defense mode about it. Like, okay. I want to be heard first before I I, I, do, I... I do have compassion, actually, but I just... It's it's like has to be uncovered because I just want to be heard first. Okay. I've only, I've only had a few interactions with um, some gay people, but a lot of it is defending their position. Okay. Why do you get defensive? When you're fighting with your spouse, why do you get defensive? You feel attacked. Because you're not being listened to. Interesting. So isn't it interesting that the, Christ, the Christian community feels unheard and therefore defensive, and they feel unheard and therefore defensive, and so what we're doing is actually just talking past each other. It's just interesting. So the third week, uh, so this week we're doing homosexuality, next week we're doing transgender sexuality, the week after that um, is all about compassionate responses. Um, this is good. So kind of keep this in your mind. Um, is, th is threatened up there because uh, there are a lot of gay beatings. Yes. And actually, the video that we're going to watch um, is a, from the uh, It Gets Better Foundation, or the it's gets, it Gets Better campaign, which was instigated by um, a boy who was, I think he was beaten, killed, or committed suicide, I think. Yeah. I should probably know more about this since I'm being recorded, but um, he committed suicide, and so, like, there's a really, and we'll watch it in a couple weeks, it's a really great video put together by Apple employees talking about how it gets better. Um, and what I want us, and what you'll watch with that happening is change the language a little bit, and are they talking about Jesus, or are they talking about homosexuality? It's just interesting. So, look at uh, task 3B there. This is good. Thanks for your responses on this. This is helpful. I'm going to have to take a picture of that. Um, look at task 3B. We're going to read the following quote and then examine the attached mind map of some suggested causes of same-sex attraction and then answer the question, how does this quote and mind map change the way you understand what causes homosexuality? This is the mind map on the back, so you've got it. Um, but let me read the, these quotes again from Mark Darhouse and Homosexuality and the Christian. Um, as we begin, begin to look at the possible causes of a homosexual orientation, I want to introduce you to the point, the concept of equifinality. Anybody know what equifinality is? You'll get a star. 
star on your star on your chart. Very good. What this means is there are multiple pathways to a given endpoint. Oh, you're not allowed to read the answer. <laughs> there are multiple pathways to a particular person's experiencing same-sex attraction or a homosexual orientation. No one pathway captures every person's experience. With homosexuality, the endpoint suggests to me that we are really talking about multiple homosexualities, if you will. I think most people will agree that male homosexuality seems different from female homosexuality, and it is. But I think we also see differences among men. There is no one male homosexual experience. Rather, different men experience homosexuality differently. So going back to our big idea, I said it's a complex struggle because of, there are many ways to get there. And it is intensely personal because every person's story is different. Uh, the same is true for women. There is not one female homosexual experience. So if you flip over here, what I've done is given you a mind map of probably the four major domains of what we would say cause homosexuality. Now, just to be clear, if we were in a psych classroom, we would not, you, we would have to be very, very careful here because we are, medical and, and clinical fields are very, very, very reticent of making strong statements about cause. So they would use the words possibly or may or could, um, not will or should. Um, and so I've given you these four major domains, biology, adult experiences, environmental influences, and childhood experiences, and kind of tried to give you the big picture of all these things that all the forms of research are saying what might cause homosexuality. So what I want you to do at your tables is to examine this together, share, share what surprises you, what struck you, what confuses you, answer this question, um, how does this change your perspective on what causes homosexuality? Um, maybe write down some questions you have, and then Steph and I will talk through this with you in about, let's call it four minutes. You have four minutes to kind of look through this together and talk about it So at your tables. Do you have any questions about this task? Is it clear? I'm going to take silence as golden. So go ahead and read, read it. it. Yeah. Read it and take a look. And if you have any questions, I'll come around. So four minutes. So I want you to look at this mind map and as a, t as a table talk about, wow, this is what struck me or this is what surprised me or I didn't know this and this is what changes my perspective about what causes it. And then maybe jot down some of those ideas and um, any questions you have and we'll talk through them in about four minutes. Ready, set, go. Hey there. Welcome. Hey, how you doing? Shelly's question, so I'm going to answer it for everybody. The word misogyny means hatred of women. The word misandry means hatred of men. So, some families have a culture in which women are put down, and some have families have a culture in which men are put down, and that can have effects on a person's sexual journey. So, I said, if there was a lot of towards 
They don't, but you can just tell when talking with them that it's more about influence. So the experiences and the influences in their life, they, they don't see it that way, but listen to the way they talk about, like, the way they grew up in life, the area that they grew up with, and the people that they grew up with. You can just tell that it's like, no. I mean, it's obvious. You know, we all grew up in a family. It's like your mother or like your father. Same with all your siblings for the most part. You know, like everybody can say, well, my sister's very much my mom, mom's very much my dad. Like, it's pretty obvious, you know, my brother is very much like my Something I find interesting is that they push so hard on the biological end to try and prove that it's they were made that way, which makes them an acceptable cause. You know what I mean? Like, if, you know, I was made, I still look like this. I was made to be this way. Their story must be acceptable. Like, Let's give it about one more minute. Trying to prove why it's happening. Why it's happening. About 15 more seconds. Like so what are your questions, what are your thoughts, what are your observations, talking about what you guys are talking about at your tables? <coughs> I hate the word cause to begin with. Okay. Cause implies determinism. It would be definite. I prefer to think of it as the influence. Okay. Well, there's a choice. It can influence someone's uh, move in that direction, but cause implies determinism. So the only one here that is absolutely would be deterministic would be the top one on your left, where it says, "Is there a gay gene?" Right, right. Which I would argue against. Okay. I mean, you, could you say that uh, an alcohol alcoholic? As a choice, I mean, the same kind of thing could go on for any kind of yeah. session. Honestly. Okay. I mean, so I mean, but they've is it proven genetic? There may be there may be genetic thing predisposition towards different things, right? Well, or there may be environmental. Right. So it it seems like there's then the possibility that there's a combination going okay. on, factor going on here of yeah. both influence and potentially predisposition for it, but. Like you get some, <clears throat> trying to think of an example. But is that the alcoholism is a good one because it says, you know, you look at family history. Well, is that family influence or is that the genetic predisposition? But you get someone like uh, someone who's going to commit a murder has something in them that allows, for some reason, their mind to get past what all the rest of us. Block is something unacceptable, you know. And what is? I, I don't know. Well, you could say. I mean, um, obsessive people, for instance, people who are obsessive but by, by their personality, obsessive. One of the one of the traits that is, I guess, part of their their human makeup. I mean, obsessive people have a, have a tendency towards dependency on different kinds of things: gambling, drugs, mm -hmm. uh, alcohol. Those kinds. So you could say, okay, if I have a an obsessive personality, then therefore I have a potential toward some some behavior. I mean, I guess what I'm saying, I think there's a. But is that is that, is that is that does that make me have a predisposition to be this or that? But is a predisposition is that is a just because you have a predisposition doesn't mean it's a genetic thing, right? 
your, pre your predisposition could just come from your environment. You're a product of your environment. So if most people I know who are alcoholics came from a family where it was prevalent. And my, my mom's dad was a huge alcoholic. And her brother is a huge alcoholic. He drinks nonstop. Because that's all his. That's all he saw his father doing was beer. He grew up thinking that that's what a guy does: drink beer. And every little kid, who does your, who does every little boy look up to? His dad, you know. So I mean, is it a genetic thing? It could be, but is it more of a pre, predisposition to mirror what you grew up with, or mirror the people that you looked up to the most? I think what our fear as believers is, maybe I'm wrong, you can correct me, but is that if we concede the genetic card, that then we have nothing to say. Is that right? Like, we're afraid to say, if it's a genetic issue, then we have no ground to stand on. But I think the point that's being made about alcoholism or any other, I mean, we are all prone, like, we're all sinners. We're all sinful. So, you know, is all sin in our DNA? Is it not in our DNA? I don't think you can have to concede the point, even if it, even if they come back and say there's a gene that makes you, you know, struggle with homosexuality. That doesn't mean it's okay. Just like if you have a gene that makes you prone to alcoholism, that doesn't make it okay. Or if you have one that makes you want to lie, or, yeah. you know, my father would say he has an obsessive personality, so he tries to avoid all sorts of things. Um, but I think we're always responsible for ourselves. And I think that that falls into this same thing. We're so afraid of this conversation because we don't want to have to concede the point. But I think the point would still be that the Lord has given you perhaps that particular struggle. And is that something that you have to walk through and deal with just like those people who struggle with their weight or with, with alcohol or with lying or with multiple other things? So I'm not saying that's the final answer because I don't think... What are you... The passage I'm looking at is... Like part of the issue here is that we got to talk about is the scripture talks about in the Old Testament about the sins of the father are visited upon the children and in Deuteronomy and like we all wonder like oh how mysterious is that I don't understand well like the most basic would be the sin that was probably you observed as growing up as a child is probably the sin that you're going to probably participate in which is why in First Peter he writes that you've been redeemed from the feudal ways of your forefathers so you don't have to participate in the things that your family did before you. And I, and I would agree also with the biological thing, like, if if tomorrow we find out on the news that they actually really do prove that there's a gay gene, um, that doesn't nullify it, the issue be any more than, like, that like that doesn't make it any more okay that we should just be settled and feel okay about it as, it as we should feel okay about having a child born with a disability that is genetic. Like... Because at that point, then we're concerned about, then we're like, oh, like, regardless of when this started, this is a result of the fall. Like, this isn't how it was supposed to be. And so scripture is saying, well, yeah, this is not how it's supposed to be. You're just finding a new way to act on that. Um, and maybe you're genetically, disp- you know, disp- dispositioned, predisposed. Disposed, predisposed to that. But that doesn't mean that, like, it baptizes whatever I do. Like, I'm, I'm predisposed to stealing, so sorry. You know, like <laughs> science doesn't nullify the Bible. The Bible right. is our ultimate source of truth, regardless. Of, you know, like if they came back and like they do with evolution. You know what I mean? Like there's all these ways that we can look at science and be fearful of it, but ultimately we look to the Scripture as our source of authority. Yeah. I also think it's just I just want to reiterate this point that honestly just clicked with me just now a few minutes ago when you were saying really there there really aren't any two stories that are like, and I think a tendency of a of a lot of people. In, including myself before I just heard that, is to, like, kind of, sleep, like, you pick a few of them in your mind that you say, like, well, they, they must have been sexually abused when they were children. Right. Or they must have had an absent father. You right. Because that's the story I've heard right. so many times. Right. But I think, that, I think that each person's story is probably just a combination of all sorts of things. Right. And they're not really the same. It's very personal, like you said. Well, and, and who knows, like... Let's, let's create like this scientific case where we put a kid through all of these experiences supposedly cause homosexuality, and he does come out struggling with same-sex attraction. But we could put another kid through the same things, and for some reason, he doesn't. Why? Well, at that point, it's like the Lord laid a path before that person that he didn't lay before another. And does that stink? Yeah. But like all of us kind of have like some issue that we're all kind of wrestling through, and that just happened to be theirs. Um, so what else were your thoughts? I heard somebody talking about coping mechanism. Yeah, like it. Andrew's talking about the the bottom half, and he can seem like could potentially be used as like an excuse to blame someone else. Right. Um, but all these things, I mean, it, 
they are outside influences uh, occurring to disrupt the ideal, or I don't know what you would call normal right now, but the God-designed plan for a child. Right, right. Um, and, you know, there's that disruption, and then mm -hmm. you have to deal with that disruption and fill it with something. Right. And this is one thing mm -hmm. that is sometimes used to fill. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably, I, I think that's probably especially true of women. I think that, because, um, like, it talked about, if, am I? No, you're good. Okay. No. Um, talked about the two different, like, how male homosexuality can look a little bit different than female homosexuality, and I dealt a lot more with the same-sex attraction females in my job. Um, and it's interesting, because I think women coming into college can be, just by the nature, maybe, of, of how God made us, and relationally and stuff, there's an interesting dynamic that I would see of maybe a woman who was struggling, maybe more, um, I don't, we don't necessarily say, but maybe more on this side with maybe feeling more born that way and struggling with it more, but getting into relationships with someone who maybe is lonely and isn't getting asked out by guys and wants to be in a relationship, and this person moves into their life and all of a sudden they find a connection that they've been missing, and so now then they start questioning and moving more towards this, um, which you see a lot more with women where you would have never... Like, like I know of three or four that would never say they felt any experience until they had a relationship with a certain person that then led them to say, like, to question and possibly even pursue more of a lifestyle, mm -hmm. um, which is not as common in men. For me, yeah, I would say broadly speaking, broadly speaking, <laughs> recorder and anyone who's listening, um, it is a, it is more emotionally and relationally driven for women, and more sexually driven for men. And so most, as, so in the 60s, a woman named Vivian Cass formed a model for sexual formation. Hey, Nathan. Um, and uh, so they, Vivian Cass forms this model in the 60s that was for all homosexuality. And then starting in the 80s, we started even making smaller ones. So here's lesbian sexual formation. Here's gay sexual formation. Here's transgendered sexual formation. Here's gay sexual formation of African-Americans, like because there's a whole minority dimension to this, too, that plays in. Um, but I would say, generally speaking, all of the pathways for men involve a sexual experience in their teens at some point, whereas that might, may not be the case for women. Um, women may experience like this kind of codependency thing, and that sexual experience, by the way, can be positive or negative. So I have a friend who was sexually abused by a mentor, um, and um, that has kind of redirected his sexuality in some ways that he's not sure like he would he feels that he could be a married man because of the things that has done to his sexuality. And so, you know, so, but the, again, going back to Trisha's point, like we could take two people who are sexually abused by their, by some guy in their life and one could decide to act this way and the other one could not. And why? And that's where, but this is where we want to be careful about the word choice because then it could just very easily boil down to, well, they just chose that. Not quite they suddenly an experience arose in them that they then chose to act on. So that's where the choice piece lands. Um, maybe one more thought, and then we'll jump to the next portion. How about counseling? I okay. Mean, if, if you have any kind of a problem, this is a wonderful right. country for counseling. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Take, buy a book, take right. a course. Yeah. Know, um, well, that's part of the question right now is even in California, it's counseling minors about their sexuality is now criminalized. You can't do that. Um, and in they fact, sue they sue parents. Um, parents will sue them. Even now, hey. Um, even you, even with parents' consent, they can't. Uh, there's a seat right up here if you want to get all comfy in the front row. Um, so there's that issue. I would say also... Um, there are methods of therapy um, that are generally considered not okay, harmful. harmful, and that's even a question in the American Psychological Association. So what you got to remember is that up until I think the 60s, homosexuality was in the Diagnostic Statistics Manual of the American Psychological Association, which is like their Bible. Like, it's by these markers that I diagnose someone with ADD. It was removed out of that, homosexuality was removed out of that book as a disorder. And so from that point on, now it's something that's normalized. And now, why do we, if it's not in the book, why do we counsel it? 
right? So this is where Mark Yarhouse is a man that we should all be praying for because he is deeply involved with the American Psychological Association and trying to help people understand, well, if this is the way that a person wants to pursue therapy, it, it should. Now, on the counseling thing, in the church, counseling has become the silver bullet for our issues. So if you go to counseling for six months, it'll be fine. And sometimes guys are in counseling for 10 years and nothing changes. And actually, next year, next in a couple of weeks, what we're going to talk about is that change does not happen like a light switch. So you're not gay one day and not the next. It is a change along a, along what Mark Yarhouse would call a continuum of attraction. And so over time, men will report decreasing attraction to men or, or women, or women will report decreasing attraction to their same sex, and maybe perhaps increased attraction to the opposite sex, but perhaps not in such a way that they have to, they can choose to perhaps pursue that relationship effectively. Or they get counseling and they get married, and 10 years into their marriage, everything falls apart, and they realize they've been trying to hold it together, and then they run away. And so counseling... The, the, the problem with this issue is that it is most unlike any, it is so personal and so complex that sometimes a lifetime of counseling just isn't going to do it, which makes us freak out because Jesus should be able to choose anything, but sometimes Jesus asks us to choose a harder path than others. I say, and the point of counseling is not to make someone heterosexual. I, uh, Christopher Yuan is a professor at Moody. Um, who and I think I put his in, book on here. Okay, it's a great book. He lived in the gay lifestyle for several years, was um, actually dealing drugs, got arrested, went to jail. His mom prayed for him for years, and he came to Christ, and he now travels and speaks. He's another person you could pray for because he's very uh, public, and he has to be He has really security guards. People um, are trying to Kill him. get at him all the time. Um, but he, his big point is that you're not trying to be heterosexual, and I'm kind of stealing your name. No, it's okay. You're trying to be a Christ follower. And so I think that that leaves room for people who are struggling and who maybe can't ever get to the point of saying, like, I want a relationship with someone of the opposite sex, but I want to be like Jesus and I want to be faithful to him. And I think that's where, um, you know, we need to really love and support those people. I know I'm jumping ahead. Yeah, that's okay. So, this is good. But, um, but we, because that's, that's a hard road that they're choosing to walk and a path and the church, we don't always know what to do with that. Because we already don't know what to do with straight single people. Right. There's <laughs> a whole other topic I can talk about another time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, but right. how do we love and encourage and provide a community for them as well? So, okay. This is good. So what I want us to do is flip over to page five here. Look at number, look at three C. And actually, this issue of singleness is going to come up in one of these texts that we're going to look at. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to assign each of your tables a, one of these passages of Scripture. And what I'd like you to do is read it out loud, maybe once or twice. And then what I want you to do is at your table, summarize this into like one sentence. And then somebody with neat handwriting, if you could use one of those colorful pieces of construction paper and write it pretty big on there, we'll post those at the front of the room for everybody to see. Um, but so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give... Um, I'm going to give David Julie's table, Romans 1, 21 through 27. I'm going to give uh, Mike and Robin's table, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. I'm going to give Ben and Shelley's table, Matthew 19, 11 to 12. Um, and I will do Romans 3, 23 through 26. So what you're going to do is look at that text, read it a couple times, and summarize, um, summarize this text as it applies to the issue of homosexuality. Um, brief note before you jump in, I have a bullet point there. There's um, other there's other relevant texts for same-sex attraction listed there. Um, the Old Testament texts, if you're ever talking to somebody, are the ones most easily disagreed with. Mm-hmm. Like in people, not that they should be in people's minds. And, so, and those and those have to deal more about homosexuality and things like this. And so what I'm trying to do is give you texts that might be a little more relevant and just a conversation with somebody over dinner. So. Um, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, back there, Matthew 19 here. And then when you're done, just give me, just write big on that sheet of construction paper and we'll... All right, so can I have your, um, your summaries? This is good. This is the Matthew 19, this is Romans 1. Okay, and... She's a pregnant person. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be calm. I'll come over here. She's <laughs> okay, so how about while you guys are writing, can the Romans 1 group kind of give us, like, a 45-second explanation of your summary here? 
Please. Um, because of idolatry, uh, God allowed us to engage our baser passions right. to um, descend into perverse and de degrading acts and allowed same-sex attraction and actions. Right. Um, what, what is the role of the mind in that passage? I'm sorry? What is the role of the mind in that passage? Uh, we thought we were smart. <laughs> what is what is we, Paul? We exchange our wisdom for God's. Excellent. So there's some sort of mental change going on in, in, when we're talking about this, right? We thought we knew better than God. Yeah. There's a mental. There's a there's a there's a mind game happening. Um, what about First um, Corinthians six here? What is what is your summary and why? How did you guys come to that back there? Through intense debate. Good. <laughs> Their summary says the only key to overcome the power of our sinful flesh is the re is redemption through the blood of Christ. We looked at all these behaviors as, as simple behaviors, and, and and the result is all these people were redeemed from such such things. Right. So even in, in, in whole, there's some pretty bad things in that list. Yeah. <laughs> And yet, Jesus, is, Jesus was able to say them. I want you, if you have a Bible, just flip real quick to 1 Corinthians 6. 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. What does verse 11 say? And such were some of you. It's a good thing that homosexuality is a bigger sin than anything I've ever dealt with. Because such were some of them. But it's an interesting, um, the, the, the some of you, is that's a plural you. Mm -hmm. He's trying to make it clear that like we're not all that different. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power and by the spirit of our God. But this is good, I think. Um, this is good. So this one, Matthew 19. Yeah, it's in pencil. It says, if someone can take the burden of celibacy on themselves for God, they should do that. So Matthew 19, if you want, you can go there. If not, I'm going to read it. This is a passage where Jesus is talking about divorce. Um, and he says, um, not everyone, Jesus says, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those who, only those to whom it is given, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. But the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Um, a eunuch is someone in the ancient world who would have their genitalia removed at birth in order to serve as an advisor to the king or the queen or someone important, and that way you would know that there would never ever be any kind of sexual indiscretion between this man who might be with the, at the queen's side at all hours of the day. Um, and so eunuchs were, interestingly, by the way, of an utmost importance in, this, in the ancient world. Um, and what Jesus is saying is some have been made so by men, but some have been made that by the, for the kingdom of God. In other words, they are taking celibacy upon themselves uh, in order not, and, and in this case, when we're talking about same-sex attraction, they're taking celibacy upon themselves in order not to act on those attractions. A book I listed on your uh, handout is a book called by Wesley Hill named Washed and Waiting. Um, and Wesley Hill is a man who has experienced the same-sex attraction. He's actually a weekend grad who um, has under, come to the understanding that he will not be able to... Um, in order for him to be faithful to God, it needs him for him not to act on his attractions, and therefore he will never marry. He has become a eunuch for the kingdom. And it is a heart-wrenching book to hear him write about loneliness um, and desire for companionship. Um, so I recommend it. Um, Steph and I did Romans 3.23. Here it is. All have sinned. So that there's none of us who are above. Um, so let me, let's flip over here. Do you have any questions about this? Yes, Dave. One of the things I, my observation, yes. looking at so many of these, is that there is obedience to God, righteousness. Right. Without that, 
not only does it open up to this sin, right, but a broader range of sin, right. And think of where our society is headed as Christianity becomes more and more removed, or further mm-hmm. and further removed from mm-hmm. the mainstream of society. Mm-hmm. Where is our society going? Right. Absolutely. This is why Jesus said, "You are the salt of the earth," and a salt is a preservative. Um, it's a preserving agent. Interesting. But without the salt, has lost its flavor. It, get, it ain't got nothing in its favor. Um, so flip over to the three D. The back here. This is the closing word, and then we'll do this. Um, thanks for your learning. We're actually almost there. Um, as last week, by the way, learning task number four, Carpe Eruditio, seize the learning. So I just invite you to take some time this week and look at that. Um, some passages. But looking at um, 3D here, Paul writes in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Um, the beginning of change for a person who's experiencing same-sex attraction is the beginning of change for every Christian and every human on the earth, and that is when we put Christ um, at the center of who we are. Um, and so Mark Yarhouse talks about, remember earlier we talked about the idea of same-sex attraction versus homosexual orientation versus a gay identity. And a gay identity is when a person decides, I'm going to place the essence of my identity to be my sexuality. And so if picture, if, if, you know, to use this like, very 90s illustration, like the throne of your heart, I'm putting my sexuality on that throne and naming it as the essential of who I am. The change comes for a person when they say the center, the thing that's the person that is going to sit on that is is Christ. And Christ is going to dictate how I operate with my sexuality. Um, and that is the fundamental question. And that's why Steph was saying earlier, so last week when we talked about gender roles, the big idea was, so if you missed it, here it is, the big idea was, the question is not, am I supposed to be a biblical man or a biblical woman? The question is not, am I being a biblical man? Am I being a biblical woman? The question is, am I imitating Christ? This is fundamentally the same question whether you are experiencing normal sexuality or homosexual sexuality. The question is, am I imitating Christ? And what happens, think about this Romans 1 passage. When, they put, when we put ourselves on the throne, when we put our own desires on the throne, we couldn't think clearly anymore. And when people put their sexuality at the center of who they are, they can't think clearly anymore. Okay, And that's why I can give you awesome books on how people reinterpret scriptures in order to give permission to their behavior. Okay, and But what happens when we put Christ at the center, we allow him to dictate what's going to happen to our sexuality. And if you look at what I'm inviting you here at 1D, identify something in your life a person, a thing, an addiction, a hobby that threatens to be your center that might define your life more than Christ. The struggle that a person facing SSA, uh, same-sex attraction, that, that struggle is the same struggle that we face, which is the question of, will my idols be at my center in a way and kick Christ out? Um, so what I've asked you to do is write that thing down and name one person that you could tell about this thing in the next week. Um, we often, the interesting thing about homosexuality is we use this word to talk about it. We talk about them in terms of them and they and those without realizing, first of all, that it really is not a them issue, it's an us issue because they're facing the same issues that we are. And, without, and when we also use the word them, we also then indicate that there's no place for these people in our churches. Um, and, there are, and the issue that my generation will have to deal with um, is the issue of homosexuality. Um, it is this thing that is going to be the pastoral issue of my career. Like, I'm just, I'm kind of just buckled down for that, you know? And, um, with that comes all sorts of things, the authority of scripture, the nature of humans, all of these things. Um, but what I kind of want you to get, and this is, and this is kind of leading into something that I'll reinforce in two weeks when we hit the compassion sequence, which is compassion begins with an understanding that they are not different than me. 
And as long as we conceive of someone different than me, I cannot experience compassion. Compassion in Latin means to suffer with. And Jesus was able to suffer with us and, exp- and show us compassion by becoming like us. And it's when we um, humanize this issue that we are able to understand it as something that we can love and exercise compassion towards. And when, by the way, we view it as a... Think back, if you weren't here, we made a list of all the words that we think of when we think of the word homosexuality. And words like um, defensive, um, they are protected, and then somebody actually pointed out, like, they're persecuted and we're persecuted. Like, they're persecuted for being that way and we're persecuted for not liking it. Um, You know, like, those words will go away when we begin to see them like us. And that's when we start listening to each other. Um, one of the things that happens, the word, you know, we, I asked why we didn't use the word compassion, and you guys said, it's because I don't, I don't feel heard. You get defensive when you don't feel heard. And the best way to help each other build unity on this is to hear each other, um, which is something that we don't want to do. Um, and that, but that, uh, but as a skill that we need to learn more and more, um, This has nothing to do with exactly what we're talking about. But in Eastern Europe, it takes a person seven years from the first moment that they hear the gospel to put their faith in Christ, on average. We design our churches right now for a person to come once or twice, believe, and start their life with Christ. And I'm pretty convinced it's issues like this that are going to make us have to engage in a lot longer, more patient ministry. Um, and And that begins when we recognize that all have sinned, that we've all been saved by the same blood, things like this. So um, we have about five minutes left. Do you have any other, what are your final questions? Is there anything I can help clarify? Maybe something that you feel has been left unanswered. I have a question. Yes, Julie. The, um, Fine, Matt, here. The one thing that you said, you know, what part you on Yeah. In the more right environmental influence of religious influence. Yeah. So, um, does that, how would that influence homosexuality? Would it, um, would religious influence create um, that guilt shame thing? Because the Bible says that, you know, those that follow that have, um, not them, not them, us, anyone that has sinned, um, has chosen. Um, lies over truth, mm-hmm. you know, doing it God's ways. Mm-hmm. So is that how that religious influence fits in there, or how does that fit in there? I would say you're on the right track with the idea of the guilt and shame. The problem with loud preaching about how evil this is is that it shuts down conversation and pushes a person further into secrecy with this issue. And so then what happens is, like, that thing, you can, like, you read these stories on the internet, right? Like, I was raised in a Christian home and was attending a very conservative church and started feeling this way, but because of the way my church talked about it, I felt like I couldn't say anything, and then I went to college and felt like I was allowed to talk about it, and then I chose a gay lifestyle. And so part of it, part of the religious influence is, it's not, and now hear me clearly, what I'm not advocating is that we say that it's not wrong. I think we have to be very clear and have a lot of fidelity to the scriptures and very clear that, hey, the Bible seems to indicate on pretty much every level that this is not acceptable behavior. Um, But at the same time, we need to communicate that in a certain way that opens up conversation so that a person is not forced into the darkness. And where where does sin grow? In darkness and secrecy. Honey? And within the church, obviously, we don't condone homosexual behavior. Yeah. But same-sex attraction is like any other temptation that any of us face. Right. And so there's got to be room to talk about that and about the struggle as well. Right. And I think that's why Mark... Hang on one second, Brian. And then you... I, I, that's why Mark Yarhouse's distinction of SSA versus homosexual orientation versus gay identity... The scriptures, is it, is it sinful to be tempted to steal? No. Is it sinful to be tempted? No. Um, it is sinful to act on temptation. And what we've not made clear in our language is that it's okay to be tempted, it's not okay to act out. Brienne. So, I agree with everything you said, and, and just to boil it down to what you just said about it being talked about too loudly or not being like talked about at all, and so you don't have a room to be able to speak about mm-hmm. it at all, which is what you were just saying too, or when you do speak about it, you feel condemned. So I think that's what the religious experience oftentimes brings to it, is like a condemnation or shame feeling, 
or like a, I don't have any place to belong to, I don't have any place to talk about this, I don't have any like pathway to go to, so it just continues, like you said, the festival in the dark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of relief when you can talk about it right. within so the gay community. Exactly. And so you, find your, you find a place to talk about it there, even if it's just to talk about it and right. not even really belong, it still brings such relief to your heart because an interesting challenge the gay community whatever that is poses to the church is they out community us like they out they, they out love us right they out welcome us um, and so that's part of the issue is because you're told don't talk about this don't talk about this don't talk about this where you go find the gay straight alliance at your high school or at or club and college and they are for the first, like, think about this thing that you felt you're not allowed to talk about for 25 years or 20 years, and then you go to this club, and they are just so thrilled that you're talking about it. And because it's like their primary identity, I mean, you could like pick your nose and like. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, right? <laughs> like because you get, because this is your primary identity, you belong to them no matter what other strange right. or odd or fabulous or wonderful behaviors that you have. So. This is interesting. Any more questions? Just a little observation. Yeah. And, man, this is not scientific, but um, what I have seen is that, um, i say this quickly, um, I don't see quite that. What I, what I see a lot of is if, uh, if, if someone professes same-sex attraction mm-hmm. or, okay, I'm going to adopt a gay lifestyle, what I see a lot of is uh, I will accept your gayness, yeah. but I don't necessarily want to really engage you. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. just like that you're gay. I like your gayness. Mm-hmm. You're one of us, but I don't really care about you. Well, isn't it interesting? I like that point because then it's more about I just like you because you're advancing our agenda. Right. That, yeah, and I, I, I know that's a blank statement. And I know that's not true of, but, of all of. But all I think of that. There, I think there's some truth to that. Because Christians never hang out with non-Christians just as long as it advances the agenda of sharing the gospel with them. And then when they don't accept the gospel, ditch them. That never happens. Good point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Paula. And I, I think I, I know it's been difficult for us because this this was not something that was talked about mm-hmm. when I was growing up. Because mm-hmm. It was a rare thing when you think right. about it. And um, I know, and I've gone through the whole gamut of when I was in high school and starting college, you know, homosexuality was listed on the mental illness right. continuum. By the time I went to graduate school, it was not only accepted, you were being told as therapists that you shouldn't even try to help somebody not become homosexual, even if they wanted to, right. which is the other extreme. Right. And and then to have our, my, my kids have had to grapple with, what do we do when we have a friend that's gay? Uh-huh. Or saying that he thinks he has that orientation. Uh-huh. How do you love that person? Well, some of my kids think that you love them by just totally accepting it and never confronting uh-huh. them on the possible mm-hmm. problems it could right, cause right. in their life. And, you know, we've been kind of grappling with what is the most loving way to deal mm-hmm. with a person that, and it is not an easy issue. Right. Particularly because many times that other person will shut down if you right. can say, I totally, 100%, accept right. everything about you, and no, it's not sin. Right. And you can't say that. Sometimes they won't talk to you. Oh, absolutely. So how do you build bridges to that person? That's, that's where I think the rub is. You know, without condoning the problem, right. but, uh, you know, helping them to kind of grapple with it and showing patience and right. kindness and love. And then there's an issue that that person, because that person has that issue, mm-hmm. okay, and, you, you know, let's say it's a boy and your son's a boy, and obviously that adds a little weirdness to the relationship right. sometimes, too, because then sometimes there's some trust issues in there. Too. Right. So and it's, I, it's, 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 it's a real heavy one. I think that idea of building bridges is something that I really want us to tackle. We're going to tackle that heavily in two weeks. Next week we're going to talk... Specific. I, so sometimes some of you did not get this. I sent out a few emails this week saying, "Hey, what would what would be helpful for us to talk about?" And a universal response was from a lot of not a universal. A lot of people said, "Hey, I really need us to talk about transsexual stuff." Like the pastor in Michigan who like decided that he wanted to be a woman. Well, now what are we supposed to do? So um, there'll be a fun case study next week. Brace yourselves. Um, so we'll talk about that, and then oh, two weeks from today we'll talk about compassion. So thanks for being here. Um, can somebody close this in prayer, please? Sure. Thank you, Kevin. Jesus, we love you, and we are grateful that you uh, hold the honor of the overcoming um, the sin that so many have entangled us. I give you uh, myself, and I pray for.